1: for doing it but I have a hard time I'm going to continue to do it please don't ask me to repent Lord I can't don't demand that I have a contrite and broken heart don't do that Lord don't demand that I turn from my sin Oh Lord please forgive me but don't expect me to change my ways I hope none of us are in that category when we say those things to God he refuses those altogether I've said this before and I'll say it again we must come to God on his terms not
0: Change isn't easy. Sometimes we hold on to habits simply because they're comfortable or familiar. Pastor Dave reminds us today that in order to be used by God, we must come to Him on His terms. In order to stand before Him, you must come with a humble and contrite heart. Make new habits with God as your focus. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 14, as he begins his message, From Exile to Reconciliation.
1: You are sure. So we have been working our way through the book of 2 Samuel, as I said. And The last several weeks, we've been studying the aftermath of David's sin with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband, Uriah. The prophet Nathan had pronounced God's punishment for David's transgressions back in chapter 12, verses 10 through 12. Let's read those. This is Nathan speaking the word of the Lord to David. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up an adversary against you from your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son for you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the son. Wow. So God pronounced judgment upon David for his transgressions, for his sin, and the deceitfulness that he tried to cover it up with. But we read in verse 13, several things I want to point out. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. That's the first thing I want to point out is David acknowledged his sin. I sinned. I did it. I sinned against the Lord in One of the Psalms, I think it's 51, where he says, against you and you alone, O Lord, have I done these things. I've sinned against you, Lord. So recognizing his own sin was a huge step in David's forgiveness. Recognizing that he was a sinner, that he did these things, and confessing to the Lord. That's what confession is. Lord, I've sinned. Lord, I did this. Yep, guilty. And then Nathan says to David, look at this. The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. David automatically received forgiveness. Automatically received what he didn't deserve. He received God's grace. He, he received a mercy from the Lord because what he did, adultery and murder, they were death sentences in Israel at that time. He should have been taken out and stoned right there on the spot. But God forgave him. God forgave him of his trespasses. And we read this, the Lord has put away David's sin. In fact, when the Lord is speaking to the prophet Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 31, verse 34, He says these things. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, and the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. What a beautiful promise from the Lord. The Lord put away David's sin. The Lord took care of it. He forgave him. And although David received this wonderful, beautiful gift of grace and mercy, and all David knew the Lord's forgiveness. He knew that the Lord had forgiven him because Nathan the prophet told him so. And he believed Nathan the prophet. He also had to reap that which he sowed. You can't negate the law of reaping and sowing. We are forgiven of our sins. Yes, we are. Praise God for the cross of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. But there's reaping and sowing, and somewhere, somewhere along the line, something snapped in David's household. What once was a house of integrity, which once was a, a house of, of goodness and, and mercy and grace, was collapsing. It was falling apart in front of David's eyes. It was now a life of misery, a life of shame, and David seemed utterly incapable of doing anything about it. He couldn't do anything about it because it was God's will. And God had told him that this was going to happen. All he could do was sit back and watch and grieve. He was unable to cope with the actions of his eldest children. We know from our study that Ammon, David's eldest son and crown prince, treated his sister Tamar the same way that David treated Bathsheba. We know that Absalom, the spoiled one, treated his brother Ammon the same way David treated Uriah. David watched in horror. These events unfolded. He was wracked with shame and guilt. And in 2 Samuel 13, verse 21, he says, when King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. And in other translations, it says he was wroth. And wroth is an intense, vicious anger. But he couldn't do anything about it. He was so angry. He couldn't do anything about it. All he could do was watch. His house was falling to pieces. His family was falling apart. And all he could do was watch because everything was happening according to what the Lord had said in his life. But David couldn't discipline his kids. He was incapable. And this started long before this happened. David was not a good disciplinarian. How could he rebuke his son for the crime that he committed? against his sister when the memory of Bathsheba was still in his mind. How could David discipline Absalom for murdering the crown prince when he had Uriah killed? How could he do that? He couldn't. He was incapable of doing that. He was facing humiliation of seeing his house divided, and he was in danger of his kingdom collapsing because of his personal breakdown. What used to be joyous and happy days in the kingdom were now severely dark days in David's life. And the last time we studied, when we looked at the beginning of chapter 14, we read that Joab intervened on behalf of Absalom because he knew David's heart. And in verse 13, 39, it says, And King David longed to go to Absalom, for he had been comforted concerning Ammon because he was dead. David was longing for his son, Absalom. He was longing. It. And in verse 14, 1, we read, That it says, so Joab, the son of Zeruiah, perceived that the king's heart was concerned about Absalom. His heart was towards his son. His son had run away. His son had been gone now for several years. He ran away. He was at the house of his grandfather in Gershom. And he ran away. And David was concerned for him. And and Joab knew that David had a sentimental heart because David doted over his kid. Most of us do. David doted over his kid. He loved his kid. So Joab devised a plan, and he sends this woman to David about a story of forgiveness and reconciliation, a a story of restoration. Why was Joab so concerned about David? Remember, back in 2 Samuel 3, after Joab murdered Abner, David said this, Cursed be you and your house. Leprosy be upon you forevermore. So why was Joab so touched? By David's grief. Well, let me ask some questions. Was Joab trying to get on Absalom's good side? Was he looking for a favorable spot in Absalom's court? Because remember now, with Ammon out of the way, Absalom was now the crown prince. Absalom was next to be king. But he couldn't be king from afar, he had to be back in Jerusalem. If he stayed king from afar and something happened to David, he would be passed over. He needed to be back in Jerusalem. Was Joab looking to secure his future? From what we know about Joab, as we read all the stories, Joab was out for one person and one person only. Joab. He was out for himself. All his motives were self-centered. So David listened to this great story that was made up by this girl, or this woman, excuse me, and he immediately knew that Joab put her up to it. And he even asked her, look at 1419. So the king said, is the hand of Joab with you in all this? And the woman answered and said, as you live, my lord, the king, no one can turn the right hand or to the left from anything that my lord, the king has spoken. For your servant Joab commanded me and put all these words in the mouth of your maidservant. So the woman doesn't lie. She says, okay, I did it. You're right. As we take up our study now in verse 21 through 24, let's read those. And the king said to Joab, All right, I have granted this thing. Go, therefore, bring back the young man Absalom. Then Joab fell to the ground on his face and bowed himself and thanked the king. And Joab said, Today your servant knows that I have found favor in your sight, my lord, O king, in that the king has fulfilled the request of his servant. So Joab rose and went to Gersher and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. And the king said, Let him return to his own house, but do not let him see my face. So Absalom returned to his own house, but did not see the king's face. So I have to ask the question, was Joab standing a little bit far off listening to the conversation? Hoping that the woman repeated everything he wanted to say? Because David swore to protect the woman. He was going to protect her and her son. How could he not now bring Absalom back from exile? How could he not? So David orders Joab to go fetch Absalom and bring him back. But notice one thing. He refuses to see him. You can bring him back, but I don't want to see him. Was this some sort of punishment towards Absalom? If it was, it was kind of a puny punishment. It was kind of a little bit too little, too late. What was, what was David thinking? What was David thinking? In fact, we're going to read later that this would only enrage his son and make him even more angry, the fact that his dad wouldn't allow him to have an audience. But Joab got what he wanted, and he brought, thought that was best for the nation of Israel. He hoped that Absalom's reconciliation with David would prevent a rebellion. But again, it might be a little bit too late. So David, we know, was overindulgent with all his sons in the past when he got angry but did nothing against Ammon in 2 Samuel 13 after Ammon raped Tamar. Now David is this harsh with Absalom, refusing to see him after he'd been exiled for three years. So David's all over the place when it comes to his discipline. When we as parents don't discipline properly from the beginning, we tend to overestimate or over-discipline in this and that, and it becomes tough. When we do this, we provoke our children to wrath. And in Ephesians 6.4, it says, don't provoke your children to wrath. When we do this kind of stuff It confuses the child, and it makes the parent-child relationship even worse. Scripture says, raise up a child the way he should go. Do the things correctly. I wish I didn't know all this stuff when I was raising my kids. But sadly, I didn't. So Absalom is basically under house arrest. Absalom is basically under house arrest. There were restrictions as to where he could go and where he couldn't go, but he was not allowed near the palace. He could not see his father. So there's two things being played out here that I want to bring to your attention. What kind of forgiveness is David giving his son? What kind of forgiveness is this? You can come back, but I don't want to see you. You can come back to Jerusalem, but don't have any part of me. He kept Absalom away. It was two years before they saw each other. Two years, which means five total years before they were face-to-face again. I don't call that restoration. And another thing I've noticed, where's Absalom's repentive heart? Where's Absalom's repentive heart? I don't see any repentance on Absalom's part. Is this the way we expect forgiveness from God? Oh, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for what I'm doing, but I'm going to continue to do it. But forgive me, Lord. Forgive me for doing it, but I have a hard time. I'm going to continue to do it. Please don't ask me to repent, Lord, I can't. Don't demand that I have a contrite and broken heart. Don't do that, Lord. Don't demand that I turn from my sin. Oh, Lord, please forgive me, but don't expect me to change my ways. I hope none of us are in that category. When we say those things to God, he refuses those altogether. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. We must come to God on his terms, not ours. We must conform to his rules. We must be made into his image. We're not going to make God into our image. I've often said that in Genesis it says, and God created man in his image. And now for all these thousands of years we've been trying to return to favor and make God into our image. It's a dangerous place to be. The inadequacy of David's forgiveness and the lack of Absalom's repentance are going to play great in this game. So as we now look at these next set of scriptures, let's read 25 through 27. Now, in all Israel, there was no one who was praised as much as Absalom for his good looks. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. And when he cut the hair off his head at the end of every year, he cut it because it was heavy on him when he cut it. He weighed the hair of his head at 200 shekels, according to the king's standard. To Absalom were born three sons and one daughter whose name was Tamar, for she was a woman of beautiful appearance. So the first thing we see is Absalom starts to become very popular, but he becomes popular for the wrong reason. He's a good looking guy, he's a strapping man. Didn't this get Israel in trouble with Saul? Saul was a good looking guy. Remember, he was taller than anybody, he was a good looking guy. I got sidetracked on the hair thing. I'm sorry. I'm not a math student, so I had a good time with this. So I went went and looked up a shekel. A shekel weighs about 18 grams. If there were 200 shekels of his hair, that means there was 3,600 grams of hair. Now, there's 453.592 grams in a pound. Do the math, you come up with 7.9 pounds. His hair weighed almost eight pounds. If he put his head back like that, he could choke to death. He probably could never get his head up. That bad boy must have drug on the floor. Can you imagine that? I wonder if, I wonder if he had it in dreadlocks. Man, that's some serious hair. Come on, folks. That's some serious hair. 7.9 pounds of hair? Do the math. I could be wrong, but that's what I get. 7.9 pounds of hair. Oh, man, people were drawn to him because of his good looks. Why are we so drawn to people by their appearances? Remember in 1 Samuel 16, Samuel was sent to Jesse's house to pick the new king to replace Saul? And all these kids come out, and one's better looking than the next. He said, oh, this is it. No, no, this is it. No. What did the Lord say to Samuel? Don't judge by appearance. Man looks at his appearance, but God looks at the heart. There was this ruddy little kid back there tending sheep. Dirty nose, probably like pig pen and peanuts. Cloud of dirt over him and stuff like that. His name was David. That's the one. That's the one. Israel had been taken in by Saul's appearance a long time ago. But the Lord set Samuel straight. The Lord looks upon him heart. Why do we get so hung up? on appearances. Why do we love to judge people by the way they dress, their hair length or hair color, or we judge their behavior, how they walk, how they talk. The Lord sees through all that nonsense. So he's looking right into your heart today. Remember when we read in chapter five of John, when it said, Jesus knows what's in the hearts of men. God knows what's in your heart right now. He knows exactly what's in your heart right now. Even what you're thinking of, even if you're saying, I wish this guy would just shut up. God knows that. God hears your heart. God is listening. Are you really tuned into him? Or are you just coming here for looks? Well, oh, people see me here. They know I'm, I'm all right. What are you here for? Why? God knows it. You can fool me because I'm an old fool. But God, you can't fool. Lord looks upon the heart. What's in their hearts? Look what Jesus says in Luke 16, verse 15. I'm going to read 14 and 15. Now the Pharisees who were lovers of money also heard all these things, and they derided him, and he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. That's pretty interesting. Abomination in the sight of God. That which we think is so important. That which we think is so great. Is an abomination to God. One thing to justify ourselves before men because of smooth words and a smile, we can deceive people. God knows your heart. When you serve another master, it's impossible to be justified before God, no matter what you think. I read this today. I want to quote it. For some people, the idea God knows your heart is a comfort, for others, it's a curse. What is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God because God judges our heart with a different set of values than what we use to judge. Men may honor someone because of their wealth, because of their public display of spirituality, but God sees who you really are. God knows who you really are. So David puts these limits on Absalom, but that did not deter his motives and his popularity soared. People both loved him and they praised him because of his good looks. They never questioned his guilt or innocence. They could care less about his guilt or innocence. All they cared about was this good-looking guy and the next person who's going to be king is among us. He became an idol to the people of Israel and his lack of character wasn't even near important. It didn't matter to the people. All they looked at was his status, his wealth, and most importantly, his good look. I don't think much has changed in the world. Let's read the rest of these verses, 28 through 33. And Absalom dwelt two full years in Jerusalem, but did not see the king's face. Therefore, Absalom sent to Joab to send him to the king, but he would not come to him. And when he sent again the second time, he would not come. So he said to his servant, See, Joab's field is near mine, and he has barley there. Go and set it on fire. And Absalom's servants set the field on fire. Then Joab arose and came to Absalom's house and said to him, Why have your servants set my field on fire? And Absalom answered Joab, Look, I sent to you, saying, Come here, so that I may send to you to the king to say, Why have I come from Gershur? It would be better for me to be still there. Now, therefore, let me see the king's face. But if there is the iniquity in me, let him excuse me. So Joab went to the king and told him. And when he had called for Absalom, he came to the king and bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king. Then the king kissed Absalom. During these two years, we can imagine that Absalom grew more and more bitter against his father. More and more bitter because his father wouldn't see him. He was only reconciled partially to his father. His father brought him back to Jerusalem, yes. But there was no reconciliation between son and father. And this was growing bitter. It was making a bitter thing. David offered a partial and incomplete reconciliation. Absalom was banished from Israel because he murdered Ammon, yet Absalom felt entirely justified for killing a man who raped his sister. His sense of justification made bitterness against David even more intense. But Absalom had had it with this arrangement. He had had it between he and his father. He had been banished long enough, and he trusted Joab to take care of something. Joab would make it better, but Joab wouldn't even see him. Joab wouldn't even see him. Furthermore, Absalom knew that as long as he was banished, he was not heir to the throne. See, there was a method to Absalom's madness too. This is something he wanted more than anything else. So after two years of waiting, he took matters into his own hand. His actions became drastic, to say the least. He commands his servants to set fire to his neighbor's barley crop. His neighbor just happened to be Joab. I always say, if you want to get somebody's attention, drastic measures usually work. But are they worth it in the long run? According to Exodus 22, verse 6, the law required that an arsonist repay the owner of the field whose crops he had destroyed. So what Absalom did is he made Joab come to him. Joab had to come to him in fulfillment of the law to receive payment for the burnt crops. Joab had a perfect reason now to go to Absalom because of the fire. Absalom gave Joab two choices. Take me to the king and be received and forgiven, or take me into the court, find me guilty, and kill me. Those were the two choices that he gave Joab. I'm not guilty of anything, and if you think I am, take me into court, have them find me guilty, and kill me. If not, take me to my dad. He was at his wit's end. Kill me or free me. That's what he was saying. You are assured.
0: The book of Second Samuel is a continuation of David's journey to the throne promised him years before. It follows his life and relationship with God, with his family, and with the people entrusted to his leadership. David has much to teach you, and we encourage you to continue studying this Old Testament book. If you missed any part of today's teaching on a sure hope, or if you'd like to listen to additional teachings from Pastor Dave, visit assurehoperadio.com today. Maybe today, as you were listening, you found you have some questions about faith, and maybe even about salvation. We'd be happy to talk with you and provide some resources to answer your questions and start you on a journey that will change your life for the better. Give us a call. Our number is 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. And while you're on our website, visit the page, How to Be Saved, to read all about the plan of salvation God set up long ago. We'd love to meet you, too. If you're in the area, join us this weekend at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. You can find directions and more information at assurehoperadio.com. We'd love to connect with you on Facebook, too. Just follow the link on our page to follow us. We're coming to an end of our time with you today. We're so glad you took the time to study God's Word today with Pastor Dave, and we hope you'll join us next time as we explore deeper into the book of 2 Samuel, right here on Assure Hope.